This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is Pacific Beach on ABC Radio Australia. I'm your host, Aggie Dubol, and we'd like to acknowledge Pacific Beach comes to you from the lands of the Bunurong and Rwandri peoples of the Kulin Nation. Well, today on the show, we'll be getting the latest from the Pacific Island Leaders Forum in the Cook Islands. Also, Papua New Guinea whistleblower is back to work. And Paradise Palais Expe- uh, Exhibition uh, is on in Brisbane. So more on these stories, uh, simply stay tuned. I'm Aggie Dubol, and this is Pacific Beat. Firstly, spanning more than 60 million square miles, the Pacific Ocean covers more than 30% of the Earth's surface. So connecting as a region is an ongoing challenge Pacific nations have to contend with. The Cook Islands, host of this year's Pacific Leaders Gathering, tried to address that. The ABC's Leather Mavono met the first multi-country charter flight to a PIFS meeting. But with that, I say kia ora Kiorana and Bulavinaka, Agnes, it's good to be talking to you again from beautiful Muri Beach here on Rarotong and the Cook Islands. <laughs> I'm not jealous at all, but Lide, look, thank you again <laughs> for joining us because you are not there for a holiday. You are really just covering, um, you know, the Pacific Island uh, Forum. And the Cook Islands government had actually chartered, right, a flight to bring leaders, media and that from across the region uh, in partnership with Fiji Airways. How significant was this? Well, it was so significant that there were hundreds of people at the airport at Rarotonga last night to meet this flight as it came in. And Agnes, they came in right after midnight. And you would expect for this, you know, tiny little country to be asleep. But there was lots of celebrations. We expected celebrations from the Fijian diaspora, about 2,000 of them who were here. But as Foreign Secretary Tepoero Herman reminded me, this was an effort that the Cook Islands government planned for not long into getting the bid to host this meeting, getting all of the 18 member countries to be able to send their leaders, their officials, their media, and even their civil society organizations to Rarotonga is not easy. Rarotonga being a country that receives all of its visitors from either Australia or New Zealand. So last night's Fiji Airways uh, aircraft landing here was the first time for a Pacific Island country outside of Australia and New Zealand to be able to send people here. So as Foreign Secretary Secretary uh, Herman uh, tells us it's it's a coup and it's one that the rest of the countries of the Pacific can learn from. I'm just relieved more than anything. It's been quite a mission um, to bring this flight to fruition. Uh, but the uh, the cheering from uh, not just our Fiji diaspora community here, but also our Kukulun people as the flight arrived was affirmation that it was the right thing to do. Very grateful for um, government support uh, and the partnership with Fiji Airways, but also the support of Fiji government to make this happen. Uh, we had nine Pacific leaders that came through on this flight, uh, which is significant because it goes to the heart of the connectivity challenges that leaders talk about all the time. Uh, so we hope that um, this particular flight will serve to uh, inspire uh, not just political leadership to uh, put concerted effort into improving flight connectivity, but also to private sector uh, to support uh, connectivity. Because without connectivity, uh, economic growth, um, you know, labour mobility considerations, all these issues are very difficult to overcome. 
And that is Secretary Cook Islands Minister of Foreign Affairs and Immigration, uh, Tebaru Herman. Uh, leaving, of course, the atmosphere uh, at the arrival of the aircraft. I hear there were crowds cheering. I mean, even the water salute? There was so much cheering last night. In fact, it was quite a surprising for me, Agnes, uh, for the Cook Islanders, especially those working in the tourism industry. It means they can bring in even more tourists to this travel industry dependent country, but also for the people of Fiji who make up the bulk of the tourist uh, industry here, it meant being able to meet a leader that, you know, they only see, um, in the news. So that was quite an exciting bit to witness as well, Agnes. Oh my God, trust me, I've been drinking God the whole of the day, just waiting for this aircraft. Um, we are very excited, like, it's a bit of war. It's like Fiji won in the World Cup, so yeah. It's been long since we, 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 I must say, we saw the Fiji, we was in Fiji. So um, for us, we uh, living here, there's about people who are still thousands of us. And it's a great opportunity to play to see the, the aircraft again and our massy at the back and it's, the, it's a fun moment for all things. And the main one is um, we are going to look at our fun and stuff is to face, uh, especially for the young ones. So, yeah. And that was Fijian Community Secretary Seta Padin Ratu. Lida, you know, also on that flight, I know, was the incoming Secretary General of the forum. I mean, gosh, let's talk about the controversy around that. What does Baron Wanga bring in? Well, look, Baron Wanga was himself quite a controversial leader when he was uh, president of Nauru, and he is seen by many, particularly our, our brothers and sisters in the Micronesian part of the Pacific, as being an answer or, or the solution to problems that have plagued the Pacific Islands Forum over the last two years. Uh, if you will remember the Melanesian Presidential Summit, which is the, the sub-regional body that leads Micronesia, uh, sorry, the Micronesian Presidential Summit had pulled out, and Kiribati had actually removed itself from the Pacific Islands Forum. And one of the conditions of the Suva Agreement, the agreement that brought them back into the forum, means a Micronesian Secretary General. And Micronesian uh, Secretary General in the form of Baron Wanga, who replaces Henry Puna. It's at this meeting here in Rarotonga that we know exactly when that transition of power will take place, Agnes. I think there's excellent uh, uh, support there. Remember, the leaders are the ones that decide things, you know. Climate change and all these other development programs that we, we need to get put together and um, filter down to the, to the grassroots countries are very, very important. And that, of course, was Baron Wonga, former Nauru president and incoming Pacific Island Forum Secretary General. While I've got you on the line, though, Lee, there you know there is the notable absence of leaders from PNG, uh, Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands. I mean, does this actually pose a challenge for what they all about, the regional unity? Um, Agnes, as we stand, I'm right outside the Nautilus Resort where the sub-regional meetings are meant to take place, beginning, of course, with the Melanesian Spearhead Group. And the only leader from Melanesia that is here is Prime Minister Sitiveni Rumbuka of Fiji, who came in late last night on that Fiji Airways charter. Uh, we do understand that, um, or at least from the perspective of Foreign Secretary Tepaheru Herman, they did not expect for all of the leaders of Melanesia to be here. Over the last uh, 48 hours or so, there's been a lot of um 
speculation around what this means when almost 90% of the Melanesian spearhead group do not come. But as Foreign Secretary Tepuri Herman said to me last night, um, the Melanesian spearhead group had met earlier in the year. It was a very comprehensive group, and they happen to be uh, dealing with quite a lot of issues right now. Solomon Islands hosting the Pacific Island, the Pacific Games, rather, in the next two weeks. So it doesn't seem to be a problem for the host. For the rest of us, uh, what happens at this meeting, whether we will see Fiji sitting alone in that room, will determine uh, how we feel about how these meetings went. Yeah, and what is on the agenda for today, though? Uh, today is all of the sub-regional meetings. So we have the Melanesian Spearhead Group and then the Micronesian Presidential Summit and then, of course, the Polynesian leaders will meet as well. Um, the, the, the official opening of this event takes place in the afternoon, but we understand that it, you know, it's at the Micronesian Presidential Summit that a lot of what um, it could potentially be exciting will take place, given you know, the problems that we've had in, in the past. Uh, there's going to be some conversation, at least around that transition of power between uh, Baron Wanga and uh, Secretary General Henry Puna. So we're going to have more for you uh, later on in the day as these meetings actually take place today, Agnes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for all the hard work you're doing there, Lide. We appreciate your time this morning. Avinaka, Agnes, and Metaki. No worries. That is ABC reporter Lide Mbavono reporting live from the Cook Islands. Also, Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister says even though he's not going, his country will not be absent from the Pacific Island Forum's leaders meeting in Rarotonga this week. James Marapi says he's too busy to attend and the Deputy Prime Minister, John Rosso, will go in his place. We, in November now, it's a very important month in, in as far as our budget preparations are concerned. Uh, I had budget preparation. I have to uh, also have to focus on the work in Pogra. And uh, with the Newmont, uh, uh, Newcrest takeaway, the, uh, our focus on on crossing the line in as far as Wafi Gopu is concerned. Uh, I just thought uh, me staying back to have a handle on this. Also, as well as allowing for our uh, DPM, Papua will be adequately represented by our Deputy Prime Minister, who has risen to the task of sending to the United Nations, uh, representing our country, uh, PIF representing their country. He, he, will, he will carry our uh, national interest as well as the uh, uh, sub-regional and uh, regional interests very well in those uh, conversations. Uh, we've given him clear briefings as to what uh, expected to uh, transpire in PIF and uh, certainly his leadership uh, uh, will, will, will be adequate to represent our country's position in matters waste. And this, uh, we, it's not as if we're absent there. Uh, we'll be represented at the highest by uh, Deputy Prime Minister. Also, he's associated with uh, uh, Minister Delta Wong uh, as they make presentation to PIF uh, again, expressing that Minister Wong goes from the context of us trying to mobilize the PNA uh, member countries for our fisheries resources. So, the country will be represented. Uh, we're just splitting task. Uh, when I'm out, he's in country doing work. And uh, when, I'm, uh, when I'm inside, and any work that requires uh, our national representation, and I'm also tasking uh, uh, the Prime Minister to attend to those. So he's, he's, he's representing PNG interests in PIF. What do you make of, of the, the state of things at the Pacific Islands Forum? I mean, so Solomon Islands Prime Minister isn't attending either. New Zealand, of course, they're just reforming their new government, but they're not attending either. We've also got a situation in Pacific Islands where we've seen recently, you know, very different stated opinions about, say, 
deep sea mining or even the nuclear treated wastewater from Japan? You know, what, what is the state of state of things as far as kind of, I guess, that regionalism in the, in the Pacific? Uh, we, we, you know, have our own, uh, own uh, national, uh, uh, national interest or national viewpoints in, in respect to uh, uh, the issues that may emerge, but all in all, the Pacific Island family always remain together. Uh, I'm at, at PIF, it's a very important uh, reference point for us to get together. So I do, I do not know uh, 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 what are the circumstances behind uh, Solomon Island PMO. I think he's possibly, uh, his country is at the moment hosting our, our Pacific Games, another important regional event. So uh, uh, he may be not attending in respect to what is happening there. They host to our Pacific Games. Uh, but look, whether he goes or doesn't go, I go, I don't go. The fact is that our country is represented. Uh, and as far as PS is con- uh, concerned, uh, PIF, we cannot compromise our, our presence in PIF. Uh, PIF gives uh, gives us the the uh, the solidarity we need in as far as our collective issues are concerned. And our collective issues really uh, the sea level rise, climate change, economic uh, pressure we go through as a result of important inflation, uh, the geopolitics that takes place outside, and sometimes unnecessarily, as I said, over over how we do business in the Pacific. Uh, we want to remain forever a united bloc. And uh, whether they're Micronesian nations or Polynesian nations or Melanesian, the fact is that we belong to one sea. Uh, we say kinship, we say bond, we say closeness. So uh, uh, just because I don't attend today or some of my other prime ministers don't attend, uh, in no way, shape and form uh, would undermine the solidarity of PIF. And that's PNG Prime Minister James Marape there, speaking with our PNG correspondent Tim Swanston. Pacific Beat. As we continue our Pacific Island Forum leaders' coverage, one person who'll be watching the goings-on at the Pacific Islands Forum this week is Dr. Anna Poles, uh, who is a senior lecturer in Defence and Security at Massey University in Aotearoa. With that, she is joining us this morning, and I say good morning. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you so much, uh, Doctor, for joining us. Well, look, we've heard... There are some notable absences from this year's leaders' meeting, uh, including the Prime Minister of uh, PNG and Solomon Islands. I mean, do you see this as a significant loss to the forum? Well, I think as the the Prime Minister of of PNG has just explained, uh, this certainly doesn't uh, dent the the work that will be done at the forum this week, at the forum leaders meeting this week. But that said, their absence will be felt and certainly the hosts, Cook Islands, will feel their absence. And arguably this forum meeting in Rarotonga is one of the most important forum meetings uh, in some years. There are some big decisions to be made about key agreements going forward. Uh, I even think of the absence of the newly uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand. What's your thoughts on that? Well, he's currently in the process of of forming a a coalition government. And although whilst many of us would actually like to see the 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 newly elected Prime Minister, Christopher Luxon, at the forum, uh, leading leading uh, Pacific policy, you know, emphasising how important the region is to uh, the newly elected Pacific government, particularly because there, the numbers of, of 
Pacifica uh, ministers in the new government is likely to be very low, uh, if not uh, zero. Uh, so the absence of, of, of uh, the newly elected Prime Minister Luxon, uh, from our perspective, is, is certainly a shame, uh, but understandable given the the work that he's he's doing to to form a coalition government. Yeah, what do you see as the big issues at this year's leaders meeting? I mean, what's at stake for the forum itself? So there are a number of issues which are on the agenda. Uh, one of which is the endorsement of the implementation plan of the twenty fifty strategy for the Blue Pacific, which is very much the, the roadmap uh, for the region going forward. And and part of that are key issues around, for instance, the review of the regional architecture, which has been put on hold uh, for uh, um, whilst a number of these processes work through. There's also the uh, agreements around sort of the operationalization of the Suva agreement, which was a political agreement which brought the Micronesian member states back into the forum after uh, the five members uh, stated that they were you know, they would be exiting from the forum. So there's still some final sort of finishing touches to be to be uh, done around that. And then there's you know broader issues as well, which will be discussed at at, at this at this forum. And, you know, critical issues around climate change, for example, climate mobility, uh, labour mobility in the region, uh, the Pacific, uh, the proposed Pacific re- um, Regional Climate Mobility Framework, the Pacific Resilience Facility. There are some big issues uh, to be discussed and potentially endorsed at this meeting, which is one of the reasons why it's so critical. Yeah, uh, you did touch on the Micronesians having to be brought back into the fold, you know, amongst other things. So uh, even the pick of the next Secretary General, you know, they chose former Nauru President Baron Wonka, who is considered a very controversial figure. Do you think that will have any effect on the proceedings, though? Well, I think given the work that has been undertaken by Pacific leaders and officials to bring mem- Micronesian member states back into the fold. And obviously, you know, Fiji's Prime Minister, Sidivine Ramboka, played a key role in that. There will be a reluctance to upset the apple cart, so to speak, by uh, potentially uh, challenging the um, the challenging Baron Wonga as the, the next Secretary General of, of uh, the Pacific Islands Forum. Certainly, I imagine it will be discussed behind closed doors, you know, potentially at the leaders' retreat in Aitutaki. Um and and I imagine that that will be an opportunity for some some of those Pacific leaders who do have some concerns uh, about his uh, about his nomination to be discussed. But again, there will be a sense of wanting to balance regional uh, unity and cohesion. Uh, Cook Islands as hosts will certainly not be wanting to uh, see this Pacific Islands Forum fractured in any way, uh, not least because of the geopolitical attention that's being paid to this forum as well. Doctor, because, yeah, does it matter? I mean, when we talk about regional unity, does it matter if countries have the differing views on issues? Because some would just argue that that is only natural. It is only natural. National interest will always, will always uh, be, you know, a primary 
um, factor for, for, for countries in the decision making. We see this with respect to deep sea mining, for example. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, Baron Wonga is a, is a leading proponent of, of, of deep sea mining for Nauru, um, as is the Cook Islands. And deep sea mining is, is an issue which, which a number of Pacific Island countries are split on and which is likely to become, you know, potentially an issue of, of some, some contention going forward. And there are other issues too, which, which split uh, the forum members. Disagreement is fine and understandable and natural uh, within within the forum, with any family uh, grouping, political grouping. Disunity is is where it becomes problematic. Mm, yeah. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Dr. Anna Pohl, Senior Lecturer in Defence and Security at Mass University on the Pacific Island Forum that is happening this week. Well, so do you see forum members being a little bit more united or then divided or the other way around? I think it's, it's in some areas uh, what we are certainly seeing is is a growing clear uh, what I refer to as sort of a Pacific consensus on geopolitical competition in the region. A number of Pacific Islands forum documents, such as the Pacific Security Outlook, which came out last year, uh, as well as the communique from the 51st Pacific Islands forum uh, from last year, have all clearly stated that strategic competition, geopolitical interference is impacting and has the potential to impact peace and stability in the Pacific region. So there is a strong Pacific consensus that this is that the Pacific region should be, and I you know, quote <laughs> quote uh, Prime Minister Sidivanaka here, a zone of peace, for instance. Uh, and and Mark Brown uh, said himself in the last few days that this is a region of 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 collaboration, not a region of competition. And this is a message that Pacific leaders have been wanting to to impress upon their partners for a number of years, and certainly over the last decade, if not more, since many of us have been watching and observing Pacific Island Forum meetings, there has been a, a, a long-standing concern that the interests of, of partner countries uh, are dominating um, the forum agenda. And what we see uh, very clearly, and and perhaps this is the reason why the leaders' retreat is, is taking place in Atutaki, not in Rarotonga, um, is is a clear effort to to sequester Pacific leaders away from the large delegations that have arrived in Rarotonga to to grab time with delegate with with different country delegations and so forth in order to. Uh, pursue their bilateral relationships, as well as those countries who are seeking um, forum dialogue partner status. So this Pacific consensus that has increasingly emerged over the past few years does demonstrate a clear kind of collective unity. And we see this, for instance, with the with the uh, the revital the discussions that will be happening around the revitalization of the Treaty of for example, uh, and those discussions about how the forum manages co- geopolitical competition in the region, what, how the collective security approach to that, for instance. Mm, absolutely, because, Doctor, what really will you be looking for in the leader's final communique? So I think what we'll, what, uh, what I will be looking for and, and, and others potentially is is 
clear agreement on the way forward on the 2050 strategy implementation plan. Um, uh, that is a, that is a, a really significant piece of work that the Foreign Secretariat are uh, tasked with doing, uh, and part of that is the review of the regional architecture. So that we'll be closely closely watching that, as well as uh, the endorsement of a number of those critical uh, initiatives that I mentioned previously: the Pacific Resilience facility, the Pacific Regional Climate Mobility Framework, for instance, um, endorsement of the Declaration on Statehood and Persons Affected by Sea Level Rise, uh, as well as a number of other critical ones, including the Pacific Leaders Gender Equality Declaration, uh, which lapsed. And and given the, the, the reduced number of women leaders in the Pacific now, uh, it is you know, fundamentally important that we see you know, strong work being done in that space too. But there's other work that will be done too uh, this week with, with respect to fisheries uh, as well. Um, as I mentioned, you know, the discussions around the Treaty of Rarotonga uh, and and also potentially with Papua too. So there's a there's a there's a significant kind of uh, collection of issues to to be discussed. Whether or not they work, get through all of them, uh, we'll see. Uh, but I'm also going to be uh, watching how the dialogue, forum dialogue partners and the other uh, civil society actors who have, who have all congregated in Rarotonga this week, where the way in which they are engaging, uh, the potential for, uh, the kind of issues that they are seeking to, um, to pursue and put forward, uh, and the, the way in which the, f the Pacific Islands Forum manages those demands as well. While I've got you, uh, Doctor, I have to quickly ask, do you think there'll be any time that they will give in regards to the Israel-Hamas uh, situation? That's a really great question, and I'm not sure. Uh, obviously, there was you know, a, a significant amount of concern around the way in which some former member countries chose to vote with respect to the proposed the ceasefire. Uh, and a number of countries, such as Fiji and Tonga, for instance, uh, voted in support of Israel. So I'm not entirely sure whether or not that will come up. Um, but I, again, this is a this is a great example of what you mentioned before: national interest uh, and and different views within the within the forum family um, on these issues. I think you know where we are also likely to see you know some. Closer to home, some interesting discussions around, around, for instance, around AUKUS, for example, uh, around uh, the the Fukushima issue uh, as well, um, and and potentially also uh, we might see some some clearer kind of decision making around how how the forum manages uh, those geopolitical stresses. But in terms of the way in which the forum vo is voting. Uh, on on issues like um, uh, what's what we're seeing now in in Gaza, I imagine that there'll be some pressure amongst those forum dialogue partners and those forum and those countries uh, who are seeking to become forum dialogue partners, uh, which includes uh, which includes uh, Israel, for instance, who have been lobbying quite strongly uh, for Pacific countries to 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 vote in favour uh, with their position at the United Nations. Doctor, we really appreciate your time this morning. Always great to catch up with you. 
My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. That is Dr. Anna Poles, Senior Lecturer in Defence and Security at Massey University in Aotearoa. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. A Papua New Guinean whistleblower has returned to his job after raising concerns about alleged malpractice within the country's Climate Change Development Authority. Alfred Rungle was dismissed from his position as general manager of the organisation after raising concerns internally. The matters are now subject to an external investigation and Mr Rungle has been reinstated after his termination was deemed unlawful. Speaking with Marion Farr, Mr Rungle says his experience highlights the difficulties whistleblowers face in PNG. When I joined climate change or I joined the government, I was previously working with the uh, private sector and also NGOs, uh, and I was uh, a former uh, director, a board director for the Transparency International. So I have this background of, you know, looking at integrity and accountability, transparency. And what made you decide to blow the whistle? There was a, a incident that happened, and uh, I was not really happy. Uh, I raised the issue within the executive management. The very next day, I was uh, I was I was suspended um, on um, administrative allegation that I think it was not related to any offence. Um, the very next day, I was sidelined. I was told that you know because of this allegation, administrative allegation, now you're sidelined. So. I was uh, trying to figure out why I was subject to this sideline. I wrote my response, but after 21 days, I was terminated, directly terminated from my employment. So when I look back, I was I, I was uh, looking at this concern uh, I was raising within the management. That's why I was subject to uh, termination or sideline and termination. So that's, that, that was the concern. That was the backstory of it. So I had to go to, into the normal uh, government process to state my case. So I did follow all the process. I went to Public Service Management Commission, and then I went to um, Department of Personal Management, which looked after my contract with the state of Papua New Guinea. So that's, that's where I went. I was reinstated uh, October 2022, last year. Uh, I was uh, trying to enter the office and then I was taken to court by Climate Change Development Authority to challenge the reinstatement. So, but I went, um, we went and uh, um, basically the court dismissed the case. So I resumed my role early October, yes. And how did it feel to step back into your role after such a long time kind of fighting against your dismissal? Well, this kind of issue, uh, it's not common in PNG. It's very rare uh, to stand up and blow a whistle on such practices. For me, I, I'm confident uh, going back into the office. I, I think I, I did, did the right thing um, on behalf of, you know, so many Papua New Guineans. And also, I am very concerned on, you know, taxpayers' money and money used by officials to at least work on some project or program to help our communities and our our people. For me, going back, I'm confident. Um, I know I have uh, created enemies. I'm, I'm okay with going back and try to advocate on, you know, good practices or 
transparency and accountability. In. Alfred, you mentioned it's pretty uncommon for someone to blow the whistle in Papua New Guinea. What what unique challenges does a whistleblower face in PNG? From experience, it will definitely affect your career. It will affect your family a lot because you might be, be out of payroll. Financially, you might you know have a, a very big risk in taking this kind of challenges. Uh, issue because of a court battle and, you know, financial uh, implication you might have in your personal or um, within your family. I was keeping a positive uh, mindset on towards this because I know I'm right. That's uh, keep me going um, through these uh, 15 months. I know I was doing the right thing, so I was just telling my family to just to hang on while I try to complete all this process. Do you hope that your case gives other people hope and strength to blow the whistle when they are aware of wrongdoing? And do you think that that's important, that people are able to do that? I want uh, people to come out as a whistleblower. Um, you know, when you see something is wrong in the system or any, not only the government system, private sector or other sectors, you have to come out. Uh, but my my concern is you have to have a, a strong evidence backing you what you're going to uh, blow the whistle on. This is very important. You can't just come out and, you know, go on media or social media and saying that, oh, this agency or this guy is doing this. So that's that's very important that people can work towards to collect good evidence to provide. And also a kind of encouragement of people, we can't always be like this. We have to change somehow in the middle. I'm just concerned that future generation coming up, and we can't let this uh, practice be a norm in our society. And that is PNG Climate Change Development Authority General Manager Alfred Rungle speaking with Marion Farr. Still to come on the show, we've got cybersecurity in the Pacific, but up next will be your news wrap with producer Carl Evans here on Pacific Beat. Here at ABC Radio Australia, we've tripled our Pacific-focused content, which means we're sounding more and more Pacific every day. Tune in across the week to hear a fresh new lineup of Pacific voices and shows on your favourite subjects like sport, music and culture. Go online to abc.net.au slash Pacific to find out more. ABC Radio Australia, yours in the Pacific. That's right, it is that time where we head around the region to see what is the latest. And today it's been brought by our producer, Carl Evans, with our news wrap. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Good morning, Aggie. I'm well. It's, uh, it's nice to be uh, back uh, back on the news wrap seat. It's been a while. But, hey, look, uh, thank you for being here because this morning, the first story, a little bit intense because Fiji rugby player who appeared at the Rugby World Cup uh, has been charged with sexual assault. Is that right? Yeah, that, that is right. Aggie, quite concerning. So, uh, Api Ratuni Urara uh, faced court on Saturday in Cardiff, which is in Wales, um, just hours actually before he was supposed to play a game for the Barbarians against the Welsh side. Um, so this was reported by numerous outlets, uh, and the charges are in relation um, to three women he allegedly assaulted uh, in a bar on October 31. So according to the prosecution, uh, the three incidents happened independently of each other, uh, with the women not known to each other or the defendant prior um, to that evening. Um, he denies 
sexually assaulting all three women, um, and he only spoke once during that hearing, and that was that was to confirm his name. Uh, so when will the next hearing take place? Yes, yeah, so obviously this is going to be the start of a, what I imagine will be a pretty pretty long process. Um, he's expected to go before uh, the Cardiff Crown Court again on the 4th of December. Uh, in the meantime, he's been subjected to strict bail conditions, uh, including electronic an electronic curfew overnight. Um, he's also unable to enter Wales apart from uh, attending court proceedings. So, yeah, so pretty heavy stuff. Um, meanwhile, that match, uh, the, the Barbarians match, which he was supposed to play for, he was withdrawn before the game. They ended up losing 49-26 to to Wales. Um, that side was actually coached by Eddie Jones uh, as well, who was apparently booed by the Cardiff crowd uh, following that tumultuous Wallabies campaign. So, yeah, look, certainly... Yeah. No shortage of, uh, of drama, drama at the moment. That's it, absolutely. Okay. Look, meanwhile, uh, there are more cyclones forecasted in Vanuatu. My goodness. Yeah, that's right. Uh, more, more pretty, pretty grim, grim news, unfortunately, Aggie, on, on news right this morning. Um, so three to five, uh, tropical cyclones are likely to pass through Vanuatu during this cyclone season, uh, with two or more, uh, um, forecasted to reach Category 3 or higher. So that's according to the Vanuatu Meteorology and Geohazards Department who released its 2023-24 Tropical Cyclone Outlook following its fifth National Climate Forum uh, in Luganville. Uh, and it comes obviously with Vanuatu in the midst of a state emergency at the moment after just being hit by uh, Cyclone Lola before cyclone season uh, officially began. So potentially a, a long six months ahead uh, in what's expected to be drier and average conditions thanks to El Nino. Uh, look, and then we head back to sport because uh, PNG Cornwall's coach Justin Holbrook is urging NRL clubs to sign PNG talent. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, look, obviously they're, they're they're on a bit of a high at the moment following that uh, uh, that that Pacific Cup. Um, he's predicted more of his players will actually soon be playing in the NRL, uh, and that PNG's Pacific Bowl triumph is just the first step in a dramatic rise for the league uh, and the nation. So, big proclamation in some ways. Um, this is reported by the NRL.com and obviously followed the side's victory over Fiji, which they're obviously very pumped about. Uh, and now he's urging NRL clubs to look closer at his players because he reckons guys like the captain, Kyle Labart, even Roderick Ty and uh, and guys like Judah Rimbu, they all deserve better opportunities and they should be playing in top-tier competitions as opposed to competitions such as the uh, the Q Cup. Mm. And uh, I guess, you know, if, if PNG do get that nod for the 18th licence, which... You know, I think personally, is he's looking ever, ever more likely. Um, you, you want as many guys as possible playing in that uh, in that top tier, so they can get as much experience as they can. I was going to ask whether or not you think this is a possibility. Yeah. Oh, look, I don't want to jinx it, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, if if um, yeah, if if I if I was a betting man, I, I'd bet for it at this point. All right. Well, here we go for PNG then. Uh, look, thank you very much, Carl, for bringing our news wrap this morning. You've been tuning into Pacific Beat. For centuries, Pacific Islanders have been sharing stories across the region. Stories from the Pacific is a weekly program that honours that tradition, allowing you to hear in-depth personal stories from sports people to farmers, artists to teachers, activists to entrepreneurs with one thing in common, their Pacific heritage and a unique and incredible story to tell. Stories from the Pacific, Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. 
Welcome back to Pacific Beat. Well, we head back to more coverage of the Pacific Island Forum. Uh, there is also the Pacific Partnerships for Prosperity Pavilion, where an expert panel will discuss the critical need for regional cooperation to strengthen cybersecurity arrangements in the Pacific. And one of those panellists, Boa Hunter, who is the Cook Islands Director of ICT and Chair of the Pacific Cyber Security Operational Network, joins us this morning to speak more on cybersecurity in the Pacific. And with that, I say good morning, Boa. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Boa, thank you again for joining us. Uh, if we were to look straight into this, what has or is the status of cybersecurity been in the Pacific region? Um, so for the Pacific, it's not it's not unique to the rest of the world. So uh, we all face the same cyber threats. And I think um, despite our global locations, our goals towards protecting our systems and our community from cyber attacks are the same, although some of us are more advanced than others. Uh, so it's not just looking at protecting ourselves, but also strengthening the, our ability to address and counter these cyber attacks and threats. Yeah, Paul, how does one actually assess the strength of uh, the country's national security? Uh, so we look at what we have on on the ground and what I think is coming out of this from uh, the conferences and the meetings that we've had in the past is uh, seeing that there are strengths already on the ground and that we can leverage with rather than building our own. And while we're building our own uh, in our um, own countries, we can also work with others to provide that support. For example, in Vanuatu, when Vanuatu sadly was affected um, by uh, cyber criminals, um, they, you know, they had the paperwork and everything for their incidents response. But, you know, the one thing that worked for them was reaching out to the people they trust. And I think that's very important for us in the Pacific, having that um, contact, personal contact at that level is, and the trust that um, you can rely on um, people that you have worked with to assist you to recover, to restore, to, you know, uh, get back to the stage that you were before the attack. Mm. Talking about Vanuatu, there's also the likes of Tokelau, which I'm sure you're well aware of the reports of their website domain. .tk is no longer in action, you know, due to all sorts of malware and cybercrime, etc. I mean, would you know how it even got to this stage? I mean, what's the damage or loss concerning this? Um, to be honest, I can't speak to the details. I mean, it's it's something that um, um, all of us are vulnerable to. Um, being attacked and and I can't I don't have the I don't know about the details about um, uh, Tukelau's um, um, domain sorry no that's all right uh, if you're just <laughs> tuning in we're speaking with Boa Hunter the Cook Islands director of ICT and chair of the Pacific Cybersecurity Operational Network on cyber and was discussing sorry uh, cybersecurity in the Pacific I mean so then. How then does one improve their cybersecurity capacity? I know you mentioned that, of course, Vanuatu reached out, but are there other ways? Oh, yeah, definitely. I I think um, um, we need to continue um, strengthening awareness and outreach programs, not just within the community, but also within the work environment. I mean, even for ourselves here in the Office of the Prime Minister looking after the whole of uh, government's ICT network, we need to be on top of, you know, these um, 
phishing um, um, attacks and to make sure that our users are aware of uh, these threats. Um, and I also think that we need to build um, uh, cyber incidents response capabilities and capacities and also to continue upskilling, upskilling our cybersecurity teams and also um, our experts that are on the ground at the moment. And again, you know, in addition to all these, um, our laws need to be updated. Our legal and prosecution team need to be trained so that they can um, undertake all the investigations and prosecutions. I think that's that's a missing, a big missing part of the whole um, um, ingredient to to support our uh, fight against cybercrime. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, you know, there is so much interest into the Pacific in regards to geopolitical China, U.S. having to have a hand in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's the million dollar funding from the U.S., Australia also on this new Internet cables to the Pacific. I mean, is this a good move moving forward for the Pacific? Um, I think... What they need to do is, uh, speaking from uh, experience here in the Cook Islands, when we had um, our undersea cable um, uh, consortium made up of French Polynesia, us, the Cook Islands, New and Samoa, um, it's good to have this in place. But I think importantly as well is to to resource it with um, um, uh, potential increase, you know, with the, the increase in cyber risk there should be some funds also put aside to make sure that that part of the, the puzzle is is, um, uh, is addressed, is covered. Um, I won't say it's not, it, it is a good thing, you know, you, you can have the, the cables, but you need to make sure that if you're not just putting in a solution, you need also to address what comes with it. Yeah, and you are part of this panel, which is very important. What will you be speaking on specifically? Okay, I think um, we're going to be talking about um, um, what we want. The, the well, for me personally, I would have liked the leaders to be at the site event, but um, unfortunately, they won't be there. So I'm hoping that the session will be recorded. Um, but for me personally, I just want the audience to recognize um, and and also to appreciate that there's a number of us in the region. Um, we're all working together. We're all trying to coordinate our efforts and in a collaborative manner um, to address cybercrime. And we're also um, aligning our efforts with the Pacific region's high-level plans, and which is why I was hoping that the you know one or two or all the leaders should be at this side panel, uh, aligning it to the 2050 Blue Pacific Strategy, the um, the Langatoi Declaration, the Bowe Declaration, and also the Pacific E-Commerce Initiative. Um, and, and you know, these um, uh, organizations, I, I, I want to make mention that because they're very active in this space, uh, the Oceania Cybersecurity Center, OCSC, the Global Forum for Cyber Expertise, uh, GFCE, uh, the Pacific Cybersecurity Operational Network, PAXON, which Cook Islands is a chair of, uh, the Pacific Islands Law Officers Network, PILON, and also the Cyber Pacific Cyber Safety Pacifica and CERT New Zealand. So, you know, we're very active in this space and I I I think I think we're just going towards a good um we're moving together 
to address this big issue, which the leaders also recognize is, um, uh, as a priority in their dialogues. Absolutely, Paul. Look, it is really great to catch up with you and we wish you well in the panel that is about to be happening um, and hopefully we see some good resolve uh, at the Pacific Island Forum. Me too. Thank you so much and thank you for having me. No worries. That, of course, is Paul Hunter, the Cook Islands Director of ICT, Chair of the Pacific Cyber Security Operational Network. And that brings us to the end of a Pacific Beat. To find any of our stories, just type Pacific Beat and Radio Australia in your search engine or head to abc.net.au forward slash Pacific. Remember, you can hear us again this afternoon at 3pm PNG time and I'll be back at the same time tomorrow, 6am PNG time. Stay tuned to ABC Radio Australia, though, because news is next, and coming up after that is Nisha Daly. Until then, I'm Aggie Dubol, and this is Pacific Beat.